Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Nick. Today's message is something worth waiting for. I recently started going to this barber shop here in town, and every time I go there, there is a line of people, and the average wait at this barber shop is about at least an hour. And the barber, he doesn't take any reservations. So if you leave and you don't hang out there the whole time, well, then you just lost your spot in line. But people do it, and they will wait for this guy. And he takes like half an hour per person usually. I mean, he takes forever. The other day I went there and there was literally a line of people standing out in the rain waiting for this barber though. And it struck me that this is something that's uh, very rare in our day and age. I mean, people don't like to wait for things. I don't like to wait for things. I'm not a good waiter. There are some things in life that are worth waiting for, aren't there? Now here in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we're going to read about the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples, the final instructions he gave before he left this earth. And the key thing that we're going to see here is that he gave them a to-do list. And it consisted of one box that they needed to tick off. And that box was wait. And nobody likes waiting, but some things are worth waiting for. And this thing he told them to wait for was something worth waiting for. What was it that Jesus told them to wait for? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning here in Acts chapter 1. So let's go ahead and get into the text. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he says, the writer of the book of Acts, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The writer of the book of Acts is a man named Luke. And we know about Luke because we read about him in other places in the Bible. He was a a Greek Christian and he was a physician by trade. He was a doctor and we know that uh, Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul who accompanied him on some of his missionary journeys. And so Luke here writing this book, he he begins this book by referring first to his first book. He said, well, there was a, a previous book that I wrote you before this. What book was that? Well, it was the Gospel of Luke. It's important to take note of this, that originally the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were joined together as one book in kind of two volumes, which told one story. When these books were written, the thing that's important to remember is they were written on ancient scrolls. And the maximum length of these scrolls in those days was about 35 feet long. Now, 35 feet of an ancient scroll is about how much room you need to write the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And, uh, and so that's why we have actually several books in the Bible which are of similar length. And that's why we have books like First and Second Samuel that tell one continuous story, but yet they're divided in half. We have First and Second Kings telling the same story, just it's divided in half. Why? Because of the limitations of the technology of that day, your scrolls could only be so long. Now, I think it's possible that if they had made 70-foot scrolls in that day, Luke probably would have written Luke and Acts on one scroll in one book. But because of the uh, technology of that day, he divided this story into two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is extremely important if you look at it from uh, a Bible perspective. I mean, imagine what it'd be like if the book of Acts was not in your Bibles. Okay, you'd be reading along in the Gospels about all the 
you know, the wonderful ministry of Jesus, the exciting ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the four Gospels. And then you get to the end of that, and then you'd turn the page to read the next book, and it would be Paul's letter to the Romans. And you'd be a little bit confused because you'd say, wait a second, I left off with Jesus and the disciples. They were in Jerusalem, and now they're writing to Christians in Rome. Well, how did, how did Christianity spread from Jerusalem all the way to Rome? And, and who is this guy named Paul? I've never heard of this guy before. And, and the book of Acts tells us that story, the story of the expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Now, one thing that's important to notice about Acts is that it does not tell us everything that happened in the early Christian church. I've been teaching a church history class on Saturday mornings. Some of you are attending that class. And we've been studying about the various things that took place in the early centuries of Christianity, missionary movements that went to Ethiopia, uh, people going to India as missionaries within the first century, even to Persia and even to China. But the book of Acts is only focused on one little slice. It's laser focused on one particular story of what God was doing at that time. And that was how Christianity spread from Jerusalem to Rome. The difference between Jerusalem and Rome, I like to think, would be kind of like the difference between Cheyenne, Wyoming, and New York City. That's kind of the difference. And uh, no one would have expected that a revolution that's going to sweep the whole world would come out of a place like Cheyenne, Wyoming, or out of Jerusalem. But the book of Acts tells us this incredible story of how this unlikely faith, this Christian movement, grew from this small group of people in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire, and it grew into a worldwide movement that swept the earth. This is truly a remarkable story, even from a purely historical perspective. Let me read to you what one historical scholar says about this. He says this, Humanly speaking, Christianity had nothing going for it. It had no money. It had no proven leaders, no technological tools for propagating the gospel, and it faced enormous obstacles. It was new. It taught truths that were incredible to the unregenerate world. It was subject to the most intense hatreds and persecutions. And yet this unlikely faith spread all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, and then even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that story is incredible. Not only that, wherever this faith went, it changed people. It continues to change people. It changed societies. It changed the world. And by doing that same thing, and the, the gospel is doing that same thing even today. It is going into all the world and changing people, changing societies, and even changing the world. So this book was written by Luke, and he addresses it to a man named Theophilus. Now, who was Theophilus, and why did Luke go to all this work of writing this, these two books for him? Well, there are several theories. Let me tell you what some of them are. One theory is that Theophilus was a friend of Luke. Theophilus was actually a common name in that time. And so Luke, the theory goes, wrote these books in order to tell his friend, Theophilus, this incredible story of Jesus, this incredible story of the Christian movement, with the hope that having read this story, this friend would also put his faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian. Now, if that was the case, and it very well may be, well, then we have to say, wow, that is incredible that someone would put this much work into sharing the gospel with one person, doing whatever it takes to reach that one person. That's simply incredible. Another theory is that Theophilus was not an actual person, but Theophilus is more of a symbolic title because you see the, the name 
Theophilus means lover of God or a person who loves God. And so some people think that maybe these writings of Luke were written to all people who love God and want to know the story of Jesus and the story of how the gospel spread all the way to Rome. But there's one more theory, and this is the one that I personally believe and hold to. I believe that Theophilus was an actual person. I believe that he was a Roman official. And Luke and Acts were written together as kind of a defense briefing for the Apostle Paul by his friend Luke. Now, now listen to this and, and hear me out here. Because where the book of Acts ends, think about the last couple chapters of the book of Acts. It ends with Paul having arrived in Rome. He's under arrest. He's awaiting trial before Caesar where he's going to make an appeal of his case, where he's been arrested for preaching about Jesus. Now, you know, if you are a Roman magistrate, and here's this guy, Paul, who just arrived from some corner of the empire and he's under arrest and he's appealing his case to Caesar. Well, you'd want to know a little bit about the case. You'd want to know some background. You know, who is this guy, Paul, and, and why is he here in our court? And he was arrested for preaching about Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? What did he do? And so Luke writes this story in two volumes for this Roman official, Theophilus, to give him the background and tell him the whole story, starting with Jesus and everything that Jesus did, death and resurrection, and then the movement of Christianity and the apostles, and then the apostle Paul, how he became a Christian, and then what he did as a missionary, and then how he got arrested and how he got to Rome. Another reason why I think this is the case is because throughout Luke and Acts, you will notice that whenever Roman officials are talked about, which they are many times, they are always portrayed in a very positive light. Now, that would make sense if you're writing to a Roman official. And Luke always portrays the Roman officials as smart, and wise. He talks about how Jesus interacted with Roman officials and Jesus healed their children and how many of these Roman officials became committed Christians in those early days of Christianity. And that would make sense, right, to emphasize these things if you were writing to a Roman official. On the one hand, to tell him the story of Christianity, but on the other hand, to say, hey, you know, People just like you are also becoming Christians and maybe you should think about it too. And hey, by the way, there's a church here in Rome if you ever want to go check it out. So Luke writes in his first book, he says, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now let me say that again because it's wonderful. I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do you catch the implication in that word? The gospel of Luke was all that Jesus began to do and teach. It wasn't the sum total of what Jesus did and taught. Do you understand the implication here? He's saying that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. And now what I'm going to write you next, this is the continuation. This is the continuing things that Jesus continued to do and continued to teach. And the work of Jesus, let me tell you, it continues on until our very day. When we get to the end of the book of Acts, what you're going to notice is that there's no conclusion to the book. It doesn't wrap up nicely. It's just kind of reading, and then it, you turn the page, and oh my gosh, it's, it's over. And you're like, why was there no conclusion? It just kind of stops. Well, the reason the book of Acts has no conclusion is because this story wasn't finished yet when the author started writing. This story of the continuing work of Jesus Christ, it was not finished. And so how can you write a conclusion to something that has no end? It's been said that every generation writes its own chapter to the book of Acts. The stories of the amazing things that God did among them through their generation in that particular location where they were based as they followed him and sought him. 
the ways that God answered prayers, the ways that God did miraculous things and, and took the gospel forward and changed lives. And I'll tell you what, I have many stories like that. Maybe you do too. You know, Rosemary and I have often said that, that we could easily write a book about the things that we have seen God do in and around us over the years that we've served him. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. In fact, interestingly, a book actually was written last year about the work that God has been doing over the past 20 years through the group of churches that we were involved in in Eastern Europe. And Rosemary and I were mentioned in that book. Even our daughter was mentioned in that book. But, but that story, it's one chapter, it's one little slice of all the work that Jesus continues to do and uh, throughout the world through his church. The story isn't over. The story of all that Jesus continues to do and to teach all over the world. That story is still being written even in our day. And let me tell you this. God wants you to be part of that story that he is writing in our generation. He wants you to be part of the story, that chapter, that slice of what he's doing here in this place at this time. The title of this book is The Acts of the Apostles. That's what it says here if you look at the top of the page. Acts of the Apostles. Now, that's not a title that Luke gave this book. That title was added on at least 100 years after Luke wrote it. And many people over the years have kind of commented on how this is somewhat of an unfortunate title because it ignores the very important theme that Luke wants to emphasize right here as he introduces the story. And that is this, that this story is not primarily about what the apostles did. Yeah, they did these things, but the story is about all that Jesus Christ continued to do and to teach through these people and by the Holy Spirit. You know, people have suggested many times different titles for this book, more appropriate titles. I think this would be an appropriate title. The Acts of the Reigning Jesus Ruling from Heaven. The acts of the risen Jesus ruling from heaven or the acts of the Holy Spirit through his church because that's what this story is all about. If you look at Jesus' disciples, it doesn't take very long to figure out they weren't really the sharpest tools in the box, right? They weren't always perfectly qualified for this thing that Jesus was calling them to, to lead a worldwide revolution and turn the entire world up on its head. They didn't have anything. They had no education. They had no money. They had no technology. All they had was this simple message, this simple story about Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes this story so remarkable. And that's why it's something that we need to pay attention to, you and I as, as believers today. This story of how God took these simple people, their only ability was availability, and he filled them with his spirit, and he did a great work through them that lasts even to this day. And let me tell you what, if he can do that through them, well, then what about you? If he can do that through them, then what about us? Can God do something like this? Can God do great things through you? Can God do something big through a group of people like us? Absolutely he can. Let's continue reading from verse two. This is all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. For now, I just want to point this out. Pentecost is a Greek word which simply means 50. 50. And Pentecost was a Jewish feast commemorating the giving of the law to Moses. And it was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. But for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was with his disciples. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about how Jesus continually appeared to many people during these 40 days. And at one time, he actually appeared to over 500 people at one time. And so the the day did come, however, when Jesus departed. We read that he was taken up, and this is what is known as the ascension. But before Jesus ascended during this 40-day period, he spent time with his disciples and it says that he gave them instructions about what to do in his absence. From verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we read about one of these conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. During that 40-day period, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we read about this. It says, Then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. Isn't that what he just said in Acts? It's the same thing. The promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. So here's Jesus before he leaves and he's telling his disciples not to do anything else except one thing. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that he is going to clothe you with power from on high. He says, okay guys, let me just reiterate this one more time. Here's your to-do list. It's only one thing. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything else. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to go to the store. I don't want you to talk to anybody. I just want you to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Just go back to Jerusalem and wait. And here's why. Because Jesus knew they could not do the things that he was calling them to do without the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, do you know that that is true in your life as well? that you need the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to do whatever it is that God has called you to do as well. Jesus told them to wait. Now, nobody likes to wait, but sometimes there are things that are worth waiting for. Now, by telling them to wait, this shows that the power of the Holy Spirit was something that they could not create. It wasn't something they could just stir up or work up within themselves. It was something that had to be received. It wasn't just enthusiasm. It wasn't just energy. It wasn't talent. And it certainly wasn't just personality. No, this was something that was outside of them. Something that they had to receive. Something that God was going to give them. It was God coming, and it says here, baptizing them with the Holy Spirit so they could carry out the calling that he had given them. Now we read in the Gospels that John the Baptist said this. Early on in the Gospels, he says this, I, this is John the Baptist speaking, I have baptized you with water, but he, that's Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, clearly, there's a parallel being drawn here between the baptism of John with water and the baptism that Jesus is going to give with the Spirit. So how did John baptize people? Well, he baptized them by full immersion. When John baptized people in the Jordan River, he would submerge their body under the water of the Jordan River. That's how Jesus himself was baptized. And that word baptism, it comes from the Greek word bapto, which means simply to immerse something, to submerge something. And so what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? It means to be immersed. It means to be submerged. It means to be completely consumed by and surrounded by the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of the Father, that they would be fully consumed by the Holy Spirit. Now let me, let me stop here and just say, don't you want that in your life? I know I want that in my life. I've had enough of me. I've got plenty of me. You know what I want in my life? I want more of God. I want to be surrounded by him. I want him to consume and surround every part of my life. I don't just want a little bit. I want to jump in all the way. I want to be baptized, completely covered in the Holy Spirit. So verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, a lot of people give the disciples a hard time. You know, in a way, they're kind of easy targets, you know, and it's like a favorite thing of preachers to kind of just, you know, rip apart the disciples and talk about how all the stupid disciples, they never get anything after all this time. They're so dumb. Look at them doing this and that. Kind of point at them and laugh. And a lot of people actually give the disciples a, a hard time for asking this question right here. Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? That kingdom you've been talking about is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? Like, come on, they still don't get it? But you know what? I think that this was actually a really good question. I don't think it was a bad question at all. Because here's the thing you need to remember about Jesus. That the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite topic to talk about. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. It was the great hope that he was planting in the hearts of all people. We just finished studying the Sermon on the Mount last week. And in that sermon, guess what Jesus talks about the whole time? The kingdom of God. We read there in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. We just read it, that during the 40 days that Jesus was with his disciples, he met with them and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. He was saying, look guys, the way that things are, right? We all have this sense that the way that things are is not the way that they should be. But Jesus says, you know what? The way things are, this is not how it's always going to be. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that's under the shadow of darkness and evil. But it's not always going to be that way, guys. I promise. One day, God is going to establish his kingdom, and it will be a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy, and Jesus will reign over that kingdom. And that will be the greatest day the world has ever seen, in which sickness and pain and death and sin and greed and evil are all abolished. When Jesus reigns, that's the hope of the world. So no wonder the disciples were anxious for the kingdom to come. I'm anxious for the kingdom to come. I hope you are too. If I had five minutes with Jesus, guess what I'm asking him? I'm asking him, Jesus, is it time yet? Is it gonna happen? When is that day gonna come? Is it soon? Because I kind of hope it is. You know, in fact, Jesus had actually trained his disciples to be looking forward to and waiting for this day. He, he talked about it all the time. He taught them to long for that day and long for that kingdom. You remember when he taught them to pray? The very first petition that he told them to make was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The desire that the disciples had for the kingdom of God, it was a good desire. It's a desire that we should all have. It is the great hope of all the earth. So disciples say, Jesus, when are you going to come and establish the kingdom? Is it now? Is now the time? And notice this, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for his question. Here's how he responds in verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for this question. He simply says, guys, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that question. You don't need to know the answer to that question. Now, isn't that interesting? Because sometimes, isn't it true that we ask God questions And he doesn't give us an answer. He doesn't give us the answer to our question. We say, God, why? Why are you letting this happen to me? You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.